Right, so in this session six of our prayer ability uh, series, we are going to uh, look at Psalm 23. We're going to also reveal something amazing hidden in the Psalms mm. <clears throat> uh, regarding King David's witness. And um, we are going to look at the phrases and the uh, use of words and ideas that we can build into our prayer life. So what we've done so far is we have um, looked at the low swing. Mm. So what we've done so far is, uh, please, these are the ideas to solidify in our mindset so that we can build a healthy prayer ability. Mm. And that is that our lives would normally... Um, follow a very natural rhythm of highs or upswings and low swings. Mm. doesn't have to be very lows or very highs, just upswings and low swings. Um, the entire world were created in this way. I mean, we don't live in a flat world. Why did God do it? Not even the ocean <laughs> that looks... Yeah. Uh, you look at the ocean, it looks like one flat expanse. It's not. It's just uh, it's got high tides and low tides. And there's uh, rainy seasons and dry seasons. There's um, there's uh, time to sow and time to reap. Rhythms. Um, so there's rhythms. <laughs> and why would our lives not naturally follow rhythms? And so a big part of understanding how to pray is understanding that we have to accept the rhythms of life. Mm. I think somehow, subconsciously, we all desire some a kind of... Uh, stable life. We'd all like to stay on holiday forever. <laughs> and yet, if you stayed on, if you, if you went to your favorite holiday destination and, um, and you stayed there, then if you wanted to have a holiday, you would have to go somewhere else. Because uh, then that's not the holiday destination anymore, that's home. And so, somehow we we can fall into this subconscious uh, deception that, mm. you know, somewhere there's going to be this wonderful stability. But stability isn't the ideal. Mm. Learning to, to walk out a very straight, narrow road of righteousness along the curves of our, or the curvature of the landscape of our lives that lies ahead. Mm. Accepting that there'll be times that where there's more provision and times where there's less provision, times where um, relationships bloom more than the other seasons. And um, I think this is a good, good thing. Mm. Uh, so where we've come from, things to remember is that we have a, a rhythm to our lives and we want to... Uh, build a prayer ability into that rhythm mm. so that we understand how to pray according to the rhythm but not let the low swings uh, determine our prayer life and keep yes. us there. Yes. So there's strategies that we've lifted out and pointed out in King David's um, prayer life that we can employ because we always want to go back into a high swing and the high swing is a eternity mindset of us in Messiah as his body, one spirit with him and one spirit with the body, and we call that one man. Mm. And um, so to make it clear that we, the Bible says we don't know when we 
when we are going to be in our resurrected form, perfected form, and we are in His presence, presence beholding His glory, as part of the New Jerusalem population, and we are New Jerusalem. Uh, so the Bible gives us all these pieces of information. So we know that New Jerusalem is our homeland, mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven one day is our homeland, yet we as living stones are being built in, yeah. uh, and we become New Jerusalem, the bride. And so out of all these pieces of information, we know one thing. The Bible says we do not yet know what we shall be, but we shall be as He is. We will be like Him. And we have revealed that when we understand the Messiah truth, that's why we no longer use uh, the word Christ. Mm. Because Christ just means anointed one. Messiah has the meaning of the eternal nature Mm. of not only the Son of God, but all things having been reconciled in Messiah. Mm. Um, Things that were in heaven, all that is in heaven and all that was on earth, Reconciled in Messiah, but has been redeemed. That is why Messiah for us means all of that. And so, whenever we're going through the low swing, there's strategies that we employ to immediately bring us back to an eternity mindset of the one man reality. And that brings us to the mountaintop where we have a full consciousness and focus on Yahweh. Mm. And Yahweh is one. Um, and that is our place of strength and stability, mm. rest, fortitude, and uh, steadfastness. And then we travel from there on this road. And what we then achieve is a lifestyle of traveling on a very narrow but very straight road mm. of righteousness because we are believers in the way and we are all followers of the way. And yes, He's the person, the way, but he also came to show us how to travel in a straight line of righteousness from birth to resurrection, mm. from where we have been conceived according to God's purposes and mm. predestination. And if that entails suffering, even death, that's okay as long as we're on the road. And so we see this build into King David's last So straight road, call it predestination or mm. destiny. Mm. And... Um, the landscape of our lives will naturally follow just like the world we live in uh, up and down curvature. Mm. Now, I'm very glad the world is not flat. I think it would have been (laughs) one boring planet. Okay? So, I come from the free stand. No. Flat. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) We want mountains and valleys. Mm. We want forests. Mm. We want grasslands and savannas, we want mm. rivers and streams, and we want all the variety mm. of life. Mm. Okay. I think it's worth also just mentioning the uh, what this curvature allows, this prayer rhythm and life rhythm, is, um, is vision. Mm. You maybe just want to explain how, how it evokes a uh, vision. You see, what we need to develop, because we said this is the year of perseverance and we are going to persevere by vision. Okay, now we learn to not get confused when, when faced with a steep 
upward curve or confused when we are on a low swing or, or we're in the valley uh, because we have an a eternity mindset, far vision beyond all the things of this life. Mm. But I think we'll, we'll explain the vision after we've looked at okay. where he ends in 22. Okay, fair enough. I think this will just illustrate it very clearly. Okay. So take us to, back to the end of 22. Right, so we're going <coughs> back just quickly to 22 to recap, because remember, we're trying to move away from the mindset of looking at the Psalms in isolation, although we do study them in isolation, but we see them as one continual flow. So, we're going to do a quick recap. Remember, we said that, so Psalm 22, we find King David on his low spring or within the valley. And we said what he does, the, the strategy that he employs and that he evokes, is to connect. So, remember, we said he's still walking in the spirit, but he's now experiencing and processing and expressing his experience in the flesh. Right. Now, we know that he knows... He knows that he needs to walk a straight road back up to the mountaintop. And so he's employing certain strategies to be able to travel on this road. So first thing that he does is he's going to connect. He's going to build a bridge between his experience in the flesh and between that of Messiah's on the cross, the sufferings on the cross. This is going to create a momentum. It's going to propel him to start moving up the slope. So up the slope until he reaches the mountaintop in Psalm 24. Mm. Right. So now, so we said, so it starts with the propelling, the connecting with Messiah's suffering. Right. Now, we're going to pick it up at the end of chapter, oh, sorry, of Psalm 22, from verse 25. Now, from verse 25 all the way to the end, this is all referring to the thousand-year reign. Right. So he's gone from connecting with Messiah's sufferings, and now he's going to, because remember we said, so if he connects with the sufferings of Messiah, the reason he does that is because from there, there's nowhere to go but to the victories. So if he goes through the, the sufferings, then he's going to end up naturally, because he's walking this road, he's going to end up at the victories of Messiah. And now the greatest victory, surely, because remember, he's now still in the valley, so he can't just jump from the flesh into the spirit, he has to now travel back to being fully positioned in the spirit. So, firstly, what he's going to do, so there's the sufferings and now the victories, he's not just going to jump to the kingdom and owe eternal life over there, he needs to work his way through. So the first ultimate victory that he's going to face is the thousand year reign on earth, because that's still on this side of the dividing line between the realms. Right, so he gazes through now, to the thousand year reign. And so this is where we leave him at the end of Psalm 22. Is that the thousand year reign. And now we see that Psalm 23, in comparison to some of the other Psalms, is actually quite short. So it's a short travel <coughs> from the valley up to the mountaintop. He's not going to linger there too long. He's not going to walk out a long, strenuous road. We see there's mentions of green pastures and still waters. So we've illustrated it here on the board. So we said Psalm 22, he goes down into the valley. Then he connects with Messiah's suffering, so it propels him up. And now we've, we've illustrated Psalm 23 here as not a very long, strenuous, kind of everlasting walk up the mountain. It's quite a quick jump up 
to the mountain top where he finds himself in Psalm 24. So it's more like a leisurely journey yes. that but up. Instead but of up. us thinking to get to the mountain top we have to climb and claw our way up. He it's he's just propelled himself out of mm. the dip, the mm. low swing. Mm. And twenty three is a short, very and we're gonna see why it's why. easy. Yes, exactly. <coughs> right. And so we see I mean we, we Psalm twenty three is probably the most well-known song so i won't be spoiling it for everyone if i say there is mention of green pastures and (laughs) still waters so we see the whole psalm has a feeling of rest of ease so that we see the travel the travel up the mountain is is as such right so he starts off with the lord is my shepherd i shall not want okay Now, remember we started with Psalm 22, so we're not going to separate the two. We're going to see this as one movement. Right, so Mm. Psalm 22. First, connecting, so he's in the flesh, connecting with the sufferings of Messiah. Then he looks through to the victories, the ultimate victory of Messiah on the earth, and that's the thousand-year reign. Now, from there, remember he needs to walk a road. He's not just jumping from one place to another, it's a travel. Right, so he goes to, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, since he could already, in Psalm 22, he was already in a space where he could connect with Messiah, had revelation of Messiah on the earth, but specifically also of Yahushua as the Messiah on the earth, in the flesh, on the cross, suffering as the Lamb of God, we see <clears throat> that now, for him to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, must be connecting with that same line of revelation, because we know that Yahushua himself identifies himself as the shepherd. And so we see that this springs forth from the same fountain of revelation. And so he's looking through, so he sees uh, Yahushua is his shepherd. But now, so he's gazing ahead. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And now we see this road. So sit back, if you will, and envision this. So he's on the earth, seeing the sufferings of Messiah in the flesh, looking ahead to the victories of Messiah leading up to the thousand-year reign. It reaches its peak. Beyond the thousand-year reign, there is eternal life. There is ultimate victory. There is the kingdom. So he's not just going to jump, okay, from in the flesh into the spirit revelation of Yahweh. He's going to move. So remember, Yahushua is also the way. So he has to go from being in the flesh, moving through the revelation of Yahushua as the Lamb of God, and then he can move to the revelation of Yahweh. So we see all of this It seems like parallel roads, but it's all leading on the same way, the same path. Right. So you want to envision the the rhythm of your life and your prayer life Mm. as you can walk and you can run. Yes. But you cannot fly, just like in the flesh. Yes. And you can't jump too high. Mm. So you're going to have to, wherever you're going to go, you're either going to walk or run, Mm. or you're going to be stationary sit down or move backward. But those are the options. Mm. You could leave the path, but you're still going to walk or run. Yes. Um, But no flying. So the curvature can only be negotiated by a steady movement forward, forward, either walking or running. Mm -hmm. And that's very important to understand in prayer life as well. Don't jump. Don't try and fly. Walk it out. Yes. Okay. (coughs) So now... The Lord is my shepherd is, is indicating for us that he's moving from the flesh through the revelation of Yahushua 
to the ultimate revelation of Yahweh. The fact that he goes, I shall not want, is parallel to that. So he's gone through the sufferings of Messiah, the revelation of the Lamb of God as the provision for salvation and justification, looking to the ultimate victory of Messiah, which is the thousand-year reign on earth. And now beyond that, he's going to envision, see the ultimate eternal victory, which is eternal life. And why this is the ultimate victory is because in eternal life, in the ultimate victory, there is salvation in its full, justification, righteousness. There is the garden, the tree of life, the river of life, uh, the assembly, the full assembly, one man. It's all there in eternity. So he's looking beyond, further. And now the reason we connect this to I shall not want is because where the justification, the salvation, the ultimate righteousness, all of that is, that is our eternal provision. So, the reason Yahweh is called provider is not because he's going to provide for us here. Yes, it's true, he will provide for us here, but that does not make him the provider. What makes him provider is the fact that he provides eternally, in eternity, for us to live together with him eternally. So, the reason he is provider is because he provides righteousness, because he provides justification, salvation. He provided the ultimate sacrifice. He provided the way. He provided the road. He provided everything for us to be reconciled and to be redeemed into him so that we can live together eternally as one. That's why he's called provider. But from that positioning, from eternity and from his eternal provision, that is going to flow through because I am positioned in eternity within Messiah, within the one man reality. Provision will flow through into my life here. And this is what King David is now looking at. Remember, he's, he's, con he's looking at and constructing this path into eternity, but he's not yet there. He now has to kind of carve out this road. He knows the road that he has to walk. So he's starting in to invoke certain things to pronounce certain things, to proclaim certain things, even mm. if it is to himself. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he knows there's eternal provision there, but he also knows this flows through to his life here. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> interesting in his strategy is that he starts... So we see, we're going to look at Psalm 22, 23, 24, and 25 as a unit. Forget that it's broken up into mm. seeming different songs. It is different songs, but it's him traveling through life. Mm. Okay, it's, he's, he's, he's following the curvature of his own thought life, emotional life, prayer life. Now here he starts the song with the Lord. Focal point the Lord, Yahushua. Now, we can be fairly sure he's not referring to Yahweh because in the very next uh, Psalm 24, he's going to focus on Yahweh. Yeah, he's going, Yahushua. Now, this is very different because now, you see, the moment that he starts, his full focus is now on, if you're going to focus on beyond uh, the thousand-year reign on earth, which is wonderful and great, exciting. The Lord is on earth. There's peace on earth for a thousand years. There's no temptation. Mm. There's no deception. Yes. Yeah. Um, it still ends in a terrible 
rebellion and battle, the Lord has to destroy the earth. So it ends in that. <clears throat> so even the best time of perfection on earth doesn't measure up to the kingdom of mm. heaven. Mm. So he's looking through the great time of the victory of the Lord being on earth and then into eternity. Mm. Um, and the moment that he does that, he, he's changed his focus. His focus has changed through the strategy that he employed in prayer. His vision has changed, where he's focused, what he's seeing, what mm. he's focusing on. And so he's focusing on the Lord, and that's leading him into an um, awareness of full provision, mm. an awareness of rest and safety, of refreshing. Now let's contrast this with if we go back to Psalm 22, when in verse 6 of Psalm 22, his focus, his sentence starts with himself. Mm. His focus is on himself. Mm. He goes, but I am a worm and no man. Now I think it's Rob Rufus that said, if we focus on God, we'll be very impressed. If we focus on ourselves, we'll be very depressed. <laughs> and this is what happens. So in Psalm 22, verse 6, his, his sentence starts with him. And it, it doesn't go well. Mm -mm. But I am a woman, no man, the reproach of men despised by the people. Fortunately, from here, he's going to quickly divert his gaze back to the Lord. Um, but while he's focused on himself, mm. <clears throat> it leads to negativity, um, condemnation, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, not measuring up. Mm. And we want to take this as a lesson in prayer. If you're going to approach the Lord in prayer with your focus on you, mm. uh, I know that everybody has had this experience. Approach yes. the Lord with focus on you in prayer, and the prayer life is not going to... You, you're going to immediately have to deal with that in a deep uh, repentance type of negative way. Now, He's forgiven your sins. Somehow we think that to come to God, we need to first go through... a uh, another, I'm so sorry, I'm such a sinner. Mm. And he does it at times. Mm. But the, the Lord is going, I've forgiven you. Won't you just focus on, on uh, Yahushua and eternity and then go into the green pastures that I've provided for you? And so he goes, um, I shall not want. With other words, the moment he says, I shall not want, that's um, him emphasizing all the provision of God. So that's going to bring a restfulness. So now he's going to enter into rest. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Mm. That invokes a feeling of uh, green grass on a hot summer day, cool and soft mm. under your body if you go lie down on it. Mm. You lie down on green grass on a hot day after running a little bit up the hill, immediately <laughs> you want to fall asleep. Yeah. <clears throat> he leads me besides the still waters. And wonderfully, here he is going to bring us to uh, the living waters that we see in the book of Revelation. Mm. So he's gone all through the book of Revelation, thousand-year reign, eternal life, same vision, same understanding. And um, immediately, I don't know, the moment you do this in prayer, I can actually taste in my mouth physically the, the coolness of refreshing mm. flowing from the other arm. Mm. You can access it while in the flesh. You can access the 
the refreshing mm. of the living waters. And we want to encourage all of you to work a focus of getting to drink living water in your prayer life, in your prayer mm. activity. Mm. So go through the motions and the strategy and the rhythm of prayer, but make sure you get to the place where refreshing flows. Yes, yes. So the living water, that's uh, the river of living water that's flowing in the book of Revelation, that's flowing toward us because we're already resurrected in the Spirit. Mm. It's also part of the provision. So, look, so remember, if he's looking into eternity, he's connecting with it already. And yeah. so from eternity, this provision is flowing, and it's like the living water. And when we get to this place in our prayer strategy, refreshing starts coming. And with the living water, the vision will be restored. You can see better where you want to go. And that's going to very quickly lead you to the Yahweh relationship, the Yahweh presence, the Yahweh um, revelation. Mm -hmm. And so we want to encourage you, uh, the word says that the Holy Spirit is uh, a fountain of fountain living water, of living water mm. springs up in us mm. unto eternal life. Mm. And so I can actually feel my, my mouth becoming cool. <laughs> As we are entering into the reality of it, the, the living water will refresh you, revitalize you, strengthen you. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, He leads me beside the still waters. He leads us. Mm -hmm. So the moment that you enter into that, he, He'll lead you, He'll lead you even more into the restfulness and the refreshing. Mm -hmm. So, now He's gone to the the rivers of the still waters, the river of life. Let's just look at it in, in Revelation. Chapter 22 of the book of Revelation says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. A river of water of life. So, translate this in your mind, the, uh, the flowing like water, flowing like water of life. So the flowing of life. Mm. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Okay. So for now we'll call it the throne, mm. because that's the picture used here. For a moment, for a moment, we're not going to go deep into it. Replace the throne of God and of the Lamb as the the heart or the core of Yahweh's Spirit. Just do it. Just do it like that. Don't uh, we? Not, we can't explain it too much. Just for a moment. Also, don't overcomplicate yeah. it. Don't overthink yeah. it. Just the core or the heart so the 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 the, the place where everything springs forth from within mm. God almighty and spirit himself and from that flows forth life just like a river with flow okay in the middle of its flow in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit 
every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay. Do you want to just go to the next verse and mm -hmm. then just show us the very simple effect of what mm -hmm. King David is actually referring to in Psalm 23? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, verse 3 of chapter 22 in Revelation. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and their servants shall serve him. Right, so we're going to focus on, and there shall be no more curse. So, you mentioned this earlier. In every human being, in every person, there is our, our personal likes and our dislikes that, that makes us, which makes us us. But on the inside of every person, inside being a relative word, um, we each are aware of our core. Now, we're using call for lack of a better word. That which makes us us on the inside, the pure, untainted person that we are, without all the add-ons add from the world. So just the, the pure person. So Buddhism and paganism talk about recentering oneself. That kind of thing. So humanity is very aware. People are aware of a center point. Yes, yes. Of themselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that no one knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. So it's that kind of the inner, inner part uh, where you know everything about yourself and yet sometimes it's so overwhelming that you don't actually look at it all that often. Um, and it says, even so, no one know the, knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so... What we want to refer to here, actually, what we're working towards is just as every person has the core being on the inside. Remember, we were created in the image and the likeness of Yahweh. And so Yahweh himself also has a core, the, the very person, the, def the definite person of Yahweh, which all other things that makes him flows from. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> we call it personality. Yes. In Greek the, or Latin, they called it imago, the image, the something that you are. Mm. Mm. So we're going to call it the the core of Yahweh, and um, and it's that it's that. Core of Yahweh, you know, it could sound blasphemous in the beginning. Mm. That core, the substance of Yahweh, mm. that's what we were created. So we can accept that we were created in His image and His likeness, and we know that it's not a created form mm -mm. because we know that He's spirit. But we can accept that we created in His image and His likeness without any form. So we created in that core. And so that core, for now, is what we're going to refer to as the, the throne of God. So again, don't overthink it. It's the imagery that John uses. So we're going to call it the throne of God, because that's how he could best describe it. But don't overthink it. So the throne of God. Now, from the core of Yahweh's existence 
is flowing something. And that power, that, but not just power, what is emanating from his core is what we understand, what we have come to understand as life. In this world, we see it in people, sometimes we call it charisma. You have a person that's mm-hmm. just another physical being, and yet he exudes something, we call it charisma. Some people exudes or radiates attraction. Some people, people can radiate authority. Mm. Very hard to understand what it is, but you you can meet someone and they radiate authority mm. or this charisma. It's coming from somewhere, mm. from some and aspect. Different people can radiate different things, mm. different elements or characteristics. But right, so from the core of God, what is emanating from His core, what is flowing from His core, is what we have now understand as life. So. It's not just that life is one of his characteristics or one of the elements that makes him what he is. He is life. So try not to define him by what we understand life is. Try and redefine life according to what his core is and what his core is emanating or radiating. Exactly. So the the throne would just be a, a placeholder word, term. Throne is a title word for something. So the throne that we're reading here uh, is a placeholder for authority, power, um, dominion, um, potentate, potentate, goodness even, um, responsibility. So when you talk about the throne of a king, Talking about the centrality of his power, authority, majesty, but also his responsibility and 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 um, uh, capacity, his ability, ability really. You know, if you talk about the throne of a king, you're talking about his capability. Mm. His capability. He could be endowed with the authority as a king, but the throne would be the representing image of his capability within that power and authority. Now, this is the placeholder word for that. But it is not something external from God. Mm. The throne is actually the central point of Mm. core of his authority, his power, his justice, his reign. He is person, and it's that core from which life flows, because the the substance that is going to define what God is, who God is, all the goodness compressed into one element is life, Mm. and He created from there, Mm. and that's flowing from Him. Yes. And so how this relates back to Psalm 23, and this is where we picked it up. In verse 3 of Revelation chapter 22, it starts with, And there shall be no more curse. And this is exactly what King David is moving towards. So he said, he starts, So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he said, the, I shall not want 
is already him referring to fixing his eyes beyond the end of this time and this world and this existence into eternity where everything has been eternally provided by Yahweh, the Creator God. And Picture, sorry, interrupting. Mm. Picture yourself, King David. Older now. He's been marching through uh, the valleys and over the hills for months now. Mm. Sleeping in the tent. It's dusty. It's sweaty. It's hot. It's cold. And he's tired. He's tired to the place where. All the challenges and all the testing and all the stuff has just worn him to a place where he says, I'm a worm and no man. All the reviling. Sometimes it's not the physical aspects that get to us. Mm. It's the disrespect. It's the manipulation. It's the selfishness of the people around us. It's all the stubbornness, the foolishness. That stuff tends to get to us. Uh, ask any mother. It's not, it's so, there's nothing that wears a mother out like the disobedience of their children. <laughs> it's not the other stuff. It's the disobedience. Okay. Now, he's in the place where he's really like just finished. The antidote to that lack of energy, mm. lack of drive, lack of willingness, lack of vision... Lack of wanting to anymore. The antidote is life. Take a huge syringe like this and just inject <laughs> it with pure life. And all of a sudden, he jumps up and he's going, we can do this, guys. Life. Okay, yeah. so he's basically walking in. So let's look at the world of life. Mm. Just explain that. Mm. Okay, so he said he's fixing his eyes on eternity. And now it says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And we said that we would like to encourage each one of you to start meditating on this process. To try and enter into this process of moving into the things of God. But in such a way that we are drinking from the river of life. Now let me explain. So you said now in Psalm 22, we find him at his lowest point when he says, I'm a worm and no man. So he's completely aware of his flesh, of his shortcomings, of his inabilities, of his lack of willpower and all of that. But he doesn't stay there. And this is, we put quite a lot of emphasis on this. So he forces his gaze to the things of God, to the truth of God. And as he reminds himself of the truth of who God is, the truth of who God is, the truth of the truth, and starts immersing himself in the person of God, in the character of God, the reality of God, this is him moving towards the core of Yahweh, which we know as life. And life isn't just stagnant where the core is. Remember, the essence of life has to be multiplying. It has to be moving. If it was just dormant, then it would be not life. That would be comatose or death. So in the essence of being life, it has to emanate. It has to move. It has to, you know, multiply. And so 
As King David is fixing his gaze, reminding himself, forcing his mind into the reality of the truth of the core of God, this means that he now starts moving towards this core which is emanating life. And so when he is referring later to the valley of the shadow of death, you see, the, the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death is the reality of the fall, the fallen world around us, the fact that the flesh is doomed to die, and yet he can move as the life is flowing towards him. It's like light, but it's not just light. It is um, rejuvenating power, revitalizing power. And so as he's moving towards the core, towards the life of God, it starts replenishing him, refreshing him, rejuvenating him, revitalizing him. And this becomes like a river. So it's not necessarily like water, as we understand water. Mm. The water is the, the flow, the way to understand the movement of the life towards us. And so as he does this, he, as he immerses himself in truth, it is comparable to the idea of drinking, of taking it into your being. Mm. So he's drinking this water of life, but it's not just life in itself, it is the essence of Yahweh. And so this now starts to lift him up, he, out of his, his slump. He can now see vision starts multiplying again, uh, energy and willpower and faith. Um, all of this starts multiplying in him so that he can walk out this road up to the top of the mountain peak. And so why we connected this with and there shall be no more curse is because life in its essence has to be the antidote, the opposite of that which was true because of the fall, because of the entering of death and sin mm. which was the curse and so as he enters more and more into life yes the flesh is still real and within the flesh all sin has been deposited but in the spirit and within the life there is no more curse because the curse was only connected to the fall and to sin mm. and death mm. and so as he enters into life and starts drinking more and more into this river of life flowing from god there is no more curse because there is only life in its fullness. So I hope that makes sense. Because the, the wages of sin was death. The salvation plan of God was to give life. Um, and it's actually very easy to understand. The effect of his prayer strategy from the beginning of verse 22 all through to where we find him now in uh, Psalm, Psalm 22, 22, to where we find him in Psalm 23, is it says, He leads me besides the still waters, He restores my soul. There we go. Now you see, the water has now revived his soul, restored him. Uh, and this is the salvation plan, the restoration of the um, creation in God's image and likeness. So it's literally the life that's flowing because we have been gained access to that life through baptism, mm. um, and so now there's the we can we can we can buy truth and truth alone. We can enter into that flow of life. So it's when we start meditating on who God is, meditating on His Word, 
It, this is how simple it is to drink of the river of life. The river of life is always flowing and we have access through baptism into that because we are, have been resurrected into life. Mm. But because we are still in the flesh on earth, because of all the curse that is still prevalent in, in the world around mm. us, um, it can start to shrivel up mm. the flesh. And um, we need to replenish it like we replenish the flesh with water. We re it must be replenished with mm. life. Mm. Um, and so it's at this point that we want to make it very clear that we are not, not to ignore the stresses that uh, the flesh is going through. Mm. We, so we taught very clearly on we don't want to be in the flesh. We want to resist and walk away from the flesh. This doesn't mean that we now going to deny the existence of the flesh, reject the flesh. We reject the um, dominion of the flesh, That's not the it. flesh. We are growing in the dominion of us in the spirit. But your person is still the person. This is the tent that's been given to us as a gift. This, is not the, this thing is not the curse. Exactly. I mean, if we think of Yahushua himself, he had a body, a fleshly body. The only difference is that the flesh was not in control of the spirit man mm. on the inside. So he was still in the flesh, but that doesn't have to be a negative or a cursed existence if the spirit has dominion. And I think that's what you're trying to explain. So we're exactly. not trying to move into a place where we, you know, just keep looking away and hating the flesh. We want to grow to a place where the flesh can live in a perfected form as the spirit has dominion mm. over its actions and reactions. Exactly. So, so in verse uh, Psalm 23, this is where we're seeing this connection with the river of life. And what it's actually walking into is the flow of the... Uh, the glory emanating from God Himself. And the glory we don't want to confuse with power or even virtue itself or light. It's a combination of all these things. It is God Himself. It's life flowing. Now, um, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, this is the effect that grace flowing from the finished work of God. So you, having been completely perfected, imagine yourself standing next to Him. It wouldn't be wrong because the Bible says He said, I will be standing next to or at the right hand. So you standing next to life, God, Yahweh. And you have been completely redeemed. In you have a hundred, like a battery is charged, a hundred percent or ninety mm. percent. Right now, although we've been resurrected, what we might be experiencing in our physical body is twenty percent charged. There, you hundred percent charged, mm. right? It's you there, and from the reality of a perfect relationship in Messiah with Messiah is flowing all the reality of that toward you. That's grace. Um, and so, 
He's saying, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And remember, His name is salvation of Yahweh. And Yahweh is, I will be who I will be, who I am, who I am. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So that is... Uh, for his name's sake, for the fact that he is mm. he has fulfilled all that he is to this world, mm. fulfilled this world. Mm. Yes. And I just wanted to say, and we can confidently say that this name is referring to Yahushua again, because he starts off by saying, "The Lord is my shepherd," mm. and we know that Yahushua is the shepherd, the one who leads us. He is the way to Yahweh. So, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, obviously this could mean when we are in danger, when we are in less um, uh, optimal circumstances, whatever, but actually we're living uh, in the valley of the shadow of death. And the flesh, actually, because uh, if, if the kingdom of God is light, the kingdom of light, um, shining down on our existence here, this place where the curse is, that's the shadow that's cast over the perfection of life. And our flesh will always, while we are here, be walking in the shadow of the consequences of, of, of sin. And um, he says, I will fear no evil. Um, obviously, He's now reminding himself not only of his enemies, but also the evil representing the temptation, the presence of the enemy mm. and uh, deception. Remember the power of the enemy is deception. Um, uh, the, uh, the influence exerted by the enemy over his enemies, uh, his physical enemies, and um, the evil of his own doubt his own unbelief, his own vulnerability to temptation and deception, all those things. And uh, for you are with me. You see, that's what's going to make all the difference in the world. Uh, we would never survive the deception mm. and the shadow of death. We would never make it mm. through if he did not walk with us and us walking with him he's mm. the shepherd mm. and he's walking this through with us and that's why so he's walking literally up that short curvature up the mountain to get to the top where it's all revelation of Yahweh and the kingdom just because now he's, he's, he's he connected himself to the crucifixion which would inevitably lead to the revelation of the revel, uh, of the resurrection and a thousand year reign the victory, and that's going to inevitably lead him to um, that connection of walking with God, mm. God being not far. Uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so now what, what is this comfort? It's actually mm. the comfort of God's, firstly, His instructions, mm. His corrections, because the rod and staff is the discipline of the Lord. Yes. So actually the discipline, the correction of God is what's going to bring us comfort. As we get lost and confused and senseless whenever we have to figure things out. <laughs> yes. It's when we can re re restore our thoughts and our direction to what His instructions are, His Word. Mm. Uh, you would have experienced this in the past, 
we can get confused or stressed up or tensed up, maybe anxious, maybe even fearful, until we just revert back to going, He actually will start speaking His Word to us through the Spirit and going, My Word says this, what you're doing is not lining up with my Word. Now see how confused and anxious you've become. That's his Rodney stuff. It's this discipline. Mm. He's coming, just obey my word. And all of a sudden, it's, we, we start experiencing the comfort of mm. it. Mm. Just the comfort. So, so when we, we feel what we call conviction, mm -hmm. I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. And his discipline is coming in. That's so that he can comfort us. That's the rod and the staff. We know the whole hooked staff thing, yeah, pull the lamb yeah, closer, yeah. all those things. Um, it also represents his authority, uh, his, um, so his correction, his discipline, his authority. Okay. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this has been preached <laughs> in so many ways. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. What would he be referring to here? There's many, so often quoted, many theories about it. Now, yes, it would ultimately represent the... Um, the feasting, the table of the um, uh, wedding feast. Mm. But I, I would rather say that the first application of this would be the most important table ever set in the presence of his enemies. Because remember, the marriage feast, the wedding feast, that's yeah, not in the no presence enemies. of his enemies. Yeah. This would be the Lord's Supper mm. on the very evening before they would um, come and arrest him to crucify him. And he's going to send his disciples into Jerusalem. They're going to prepare the table for the Passover feast. Now, the Passover, first installment or, or uh, first time that he gives them the Passover, that's in the presence of the enemies. Here, he's going to go and eat the Passover meal with his disciples in Jerusalem. Okay, so yeah, what has King David just done? He's done the same thing that he does in every psalm just about. Now he's going from where he's at, walked into the life of God, and now he's... Uh, so he's walked with the shepherd until he became the shepherd. Again, he's <laughs> just back at a one-man mentality, mindset. He's not, not speaking about himself yes. anymore. But it's not just yes. speaking about himself anymore. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and he says, my cup runs over. What cup is he referring to? Now, you see, all of this makes sense if you understand the table. It's the table of the supper that, God, that Yahushua has given to all of us as a perpetual reminder uh, of uh, his, his, from that moment onward, he's washing the feet of the disciples uh, the forgiveness of sin, the restoration that comes with intimate uh, fellowship with him around the table, um, uh, all of those things. Mm. And so this is where King David is going. He's going to the Last Supper. Um, and the cup flow overflowing, that we do partake in the suffering of Messiah, but also we partake in the ultimate um, cup of life and um, 
that is from where our life partaking in his ministry flows from. Mm. And so, um, obviously, we're not going to mine it all the way, but you can see where that's going. He anoints my head. Now, first, King David was anointed by God. Yes. Anoints my head with oil. When Messiah teaches on when you fast, uh, still anoint your head. your head. So we're partaking in denying the flesh, drawing near to God in fasting. Um, uh, we're not going to go all the way into that now, but then he commands them, anoint your head. It's the opposite of sackcloth and, and yes, ashes. It's, yes. it's uh, the internal uh, repentance, no longer the outward repentance. Uh, but more than that, um, the anoint my head refers to when he washed his disciples clean. Washed their feet, they were then clean and beautified. Mm. Okay, so there's there's... The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the beautification of um, the resurrected disciples, and from there they become apostles. Mm. So the beautification is the anointing of the disciples by the Holy Spirit. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies uh, should not be used as a bravado expression whenever we feel uh, threatened or un, um, uh, or treated unfairly. Okay, this is a reference to primarily uh, the partaking of the meal around the table of Messiah's flesh and his blood that ultimately uh, refers to the table where, um, at the wedding feast table, that is the um, made one of the bride and the bridegroom. So we don't want to misuse this out of context. It's a rather substance that we walk in. Um, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So... I don't think you have to do much more with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of, our li- of my life. I don't want to unpack it too much, but we're back at remember the blessing. You're coming in and you're going out. Mm-hmm. And that is where it says that if you keep the words or the sayings of God, then the blessing will overtake you. Yes. So it's a, it's a refer, reference to that. We know that that was not just given as the Lord. There's also the sayings of God. There's a grace of God, the purposes and the will of God that will continue to overtake your life and um, to lead you into the provision and blessing of God. And so that's what we looked at. He went to, he started the psalm with the provision of God and the ultimate provision is that which is provided in eternity. As he has provided all things. We back in Revelation it says the river of life this there will be no tears the tears are wiped away from every eye. There's no lack. No night. Um, there's no night. There's no more woundings or hurting mm. or emotional. Yeah, and God healing. will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain.
pain, probably all the things have passed away. So in the beginning of uh, Psalm 23, he actually starts off referring to um, the ultimate provision of God, and he ends off with confirming the fulfillment mm. of the ironic blessing mm. um, that comes all the way from the giving of the law. And so this is what he's doing here. Um, so it's the coming in, going out, the blessings are overtaking you, and that is what he is referring to. And that all of that um, is just him connecting his love point with the crucifixion that leads to the um, ultimate victory that leads to the thousand-year reign goes beyond because now from there you can't go any on this further in time. You can't mm. go horizontally anymore because the world has ended. So you've got to have an upward curve into eternity, and that's going to lead him into Psalm 24, where he is now dealing with Yahweh, and he's going to uh, speak about ascending the hill of God. He's going to lift up your heads, O gates, is going all the way to New Jerusalem, um, the whole reality of uh, what faith is in substance, and he ends with, who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory, in verse 10 of Psalm 24. Now that's the high point of experience with, with God. And um, then he goes into Psalm 25, and now, uh, you see, this is now when you start traveling, you've gone up the upward swing, uh, top of the mountain, now you've got to start traveling down. Now, that can sound scary. But now, it's got a strategy for that mm. phase of the rhythm as well. A strategy that we can employ and we can use to also negotiate that. Because all of us, we just want to try and find ways of just staying up there. Okay. And it doesn't help ignoring the fact when there's a downward swing again. We have to have a strategy for the downward swing. And this is where all those principles starts coming into its place. Because yeah, now yeah. formulating, knowing, beginning mm. and end, planning mm -hmm. ahead... Sowing seeds, this is a form of sowing the right seed at the right time so you have the right outcome. And so he is, um, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So now that soul mm. that has now been restored mm -hmm. out of the flow of living water and he's been drinking the living water, to you I lift this up. But he knows he's already, he's got to go back into his life. You can pray all night long, but when the morning comes, the enemy is out there and you've got to grab your armor and your sword and go and make war. I think, especially in King David's circumstance, he's still the king. He can't stand the mountaintop with God. An entire nation is depending on him to lead them. <laughs> so kind of as he starts continuing on this road, remember there's the road that we've got to travel on, that narrow road of righteousness, and we've found ourselves on the mountaintop having conversation and intimacy with God under the tree of life in the shade and um, as we go and he says you've got to run along there's stuff to do my son and you go I'm on my way father and as you kind of get up and you, you've gathered your stuff and you're walking off 
It's kind of what he's doing is looking mm. over his shoulder, mm. going on the way. He's not, he's not quibbling about mm. having to go. Yeah. He's not complaining, oh, I don't want to go, because that would put you right back down the... No, you would fall all the, the way to the earth. All the, <laughs> that's the previous dip you're going to go into. You're not going to move forward in yeah. that way. So almost like as he's starting to carry on on the journey, almost over his shoulder, looking kind of back with a wave, he's like... To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> Let not my enemies triumph over me. Because his, his soul is lifted up. And then we're going to skip to verse 4. He says, show me your ways, O Lord. Mm. So he's going like, okay, I came up here seeking your help and renewing because I was in life danger and I couldn't make it anymore. So I'm going to continue. Don't let my enemies get the better of me and don't, don't let me be ashamed, but I put all my trust in you. And then he's got a plan for the downward swing journey. He says, now teach me your ways, O Lord. Mm. Mm. If I'm going to continue on this journey of life and I have to travel through this world, then show me your ways. Teach uh, me your ways. This is also rather interesting because one would think he's just come from the mountain top. He's he's only leaving now, making his way down. So he's he's just found himself within the existence of Yahweh, within the middle of all revelation. And as he leaves, immediately goes into an attitude of show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. And so we see this kind of attitude. And especially, I think, with the, the, the idea, the illustration of actually being on a mountain top is where you find vision for the path ahead. You, can clear, you don't have to strain to see the path. You're on the mountain top, so you can clearly see the road you have to walk. Mm. But now he's going to start descending the mountain. He has to because it's the natural progression. But he understands that now... Even as he leaves the mountain, just leaving the mountain, immediately he's going to put his, start immediately putting his trust in God, in the Lord, to lead him on the road that he knows he must walk. Mm. So I think this is just an interesting... Now there's kind of a, with his attitude in Psalm 25, there's kind of an excitement and a willingness. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have to go travel this, this road. Mm. Um, and it's not an unwilling, oh, I've got to go do this, I'd rather stay here. No, it's like, let's go. And, you know, in the next um, uh, season of his travels, of his journey that we call life, um, in him saying to God, I trust you, um, and he says, show me your ways, O Lord. Now, we can't say, Lord, show me your ways if we're not willing to go places we haven't been before. Because the Lord is going to show us things that we haven't seen before. And He's not going to show it to us on a map. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the way He's going to show you is by leading you there. He's not going to, well, let me take out my map and show you. <laughs> so, it's one, it's a great idea to say, show me your ways, O Lord. And God is going to say, okay, let's go live life. Yes. And as we, let's go there. As we live life, I'll show you my ways. Uh, circumstances will unfold so that you can discover my ways. And it's going to be new and different mm. and, and maybe even more challenging. And that's the wonderful thing with this journey of life that God has given us. He says, willingly, show me your ways, O Lord. Now, this is, we wake up in the morning, we go, 
show me your ways, Lord. There's ways that I don't know yet. There's your ways that I haven't seen yet. Your ways, there's, there's parts of whatever is flowing from you as a person, as almighty eternal God, that I haven't discovered yet. And this means I'm going to have to go and put myself in new circumstances, new situations, uh, all kinds of new challenges. Um, and then he says, teach me your paths. Mm. Now, he's, he's just traveled through a valley and up a mountain. And he goes like, there must be paths I haven't traveled on. Your paths, your, your paths that has been prepared for my feet to walk on, mm. um, show them to me. Um, it's an adventurous attitude when it comes to life and the ways of God, the things of God. So, And um, it's the way we embrace this out of that Him having revitalized our souls that we see in... Um, and this is His plan for the journey that's going to take Him back into maybe the ways of the, or the world. But it, you see, what He's doing now is flattening the curve. Excuse the pun. <laughs> Can the camera pick this up? Is it? Uh, yes, up? just... Right. Okay. So He's, he's flattening the curve. This is planned for the journey. So it's not going to be a steep um, it's not going to be a steep up and down, up and down. Okay, that we could cause that if we don't follow the strategy. What he's done is gone up and down in Psalm 23, mountain top, and now he's gonna flatten the curve. I thought it's such a popular saying that we might as well incorporate it. And instead of just going down into the valley, he's going to change it into a learning curve. He's going to harness it as a discovering adventure. Uh, learning God's ways and discovering God's paths. And this will flatten your downward curve tremendously. Because you're not busy thinking, oh, I've got to go all the way down into the world again. I've got to deal with people again. I've got to deal with the dread. Uh, uh, the, I've got to deal with the things of life again. No. This is an adventure we're learning, learning God's ways. And so what that does, it might, might be that you could hit a little bit of a more downward curve, um, but... You don't want, just don't want the curve to do that. It's a little dip. It's not the bottom of the valley. And so you're flattening the curve all the way to where the downward swing is now not as low as the previous downward swing. It's the attitude of learning God's ways, walking with the Messiah and being taught being taught and learning how to implement his ways. So he's coming out of that experience of drinking from the river of life, the waters of life, but now he's ready to learn. This is a very important secret to walking out life. When we are actually prepared, willing, and excited to learn what God is about to teach us, to go through the experiences that's going to form us, um, to meet the challenges that God has actually prepared for us, so that we can grow in authority and 
and maturity and wisdom and godliness. Um, this flattens the curve and then the downward swing is never uh, quite as low as the previous one and that starts uh, making the high place will remain a high place but the low places changes completely. Um, and it's a matter of fact because you are flattening the curve and you're walking a far longer road of learning um, you're minimizing the downswings because remember there would have been a downswing here and then up and a downswing and so you could actually um, walk out in, in, in walking with the Lord in learning and changing and growing you could literally walk out a, a slight slope downward if you don't try and change it to an upward slope, slope just because you want the thrill of it <clears throat> and you don't get scared of the, of the learning curve and you don't get frightened by uh, the, him leading you away again from yourself and your own things, you can actually eliminate three, four, five of the downswings that you would have had instead of then chasing after some upswing you're just flattening the curve and not having a downswing which makes for a constant walk with God but more of a steadfast walk with God and um, so steadfastness is not eliminating the downswings altogether or chasing the mountain tops all the time that's not steadfastness steadfastness is not denying the fact that there's still things in the flesh that are being sorted out that we're still learning and we're still changing we're still growing that's not it um, we're not talking about we're not saying that we should indulge the flesh in any way we're using the experiences that are more fleshly or more according to the fallen man we're, losing, we're using that to learn we're harnessing it not ignoring it did you want to say anything? ok so we'll continue with Psalm 25 next week we were planning to actually not make this a very long series but we're going to have at least one more um, session in this and um, in this series because we're going to work through this and we are still going to identify those phrases to enrich our prayer life ok so last bit for this session uh, verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 25, uh, King David says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So now we see uh, hand in hand this very same process that you've now described. We see this attitude that he takes in. So there's a, there's a response of, Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me your truth and teach me. So there's a show me. Teach me, lead me. And the show me would be connected to revelation. So God shows us his ways, shows us his will. Um, so there's revelation and, and understanding to a certain extent, but more the revelation of his will and his ways. But then after that needs to come the teach me your paths. So the paths would be the walking in his will. So your ways would be a reference more to just his will your paths would be how to walk in His will, how to walk out His will. 
So first King David is responding and saying, you've shown, show me your ways, reveal to me your will. But then that's not enough. He wants, he says, teach me your paths. Now you've shown me your will and your ways. Teach me now how to walk in what you've shown me. And then from there, another progression, lead me in your truth and teach me. So it's not just you're going to show me your ways and then teach me how to walk in it. No, you need to walk it with me. I'm, I'm going to follow you on the road uh, within your truth. And then when he says, for you are the God of my salvation, uh, the easier way to read that or another way to read that would actually just be for you are Yahushua. God of my salvation uh, because Yahushua means God, Yah is salvation so basically this is for you are Yahushua on you I wait all the day and that on you I wait all the day would be our actual response so the show me, teach me, lead me that's, yes King David is asking from the Lord to do these things but the reason he's doing it is because he understands that this is God's response so this is what God will do. And the way we respond is on you I wait all the day. So that's our response. In every moment, in every day, in every circumstance, in every opportunity, we wait on the Lord for Him to show us, for Him to teach us, and for Him to lead us. So to verse 4, there's one, two, three, four sentences uh, that is God's, God's, what God does. Mm. And then one little sentence at the bottom, end of verse 5, our response. It's very cool. Um, and let's uh, continue with the rest of it next time. Mm.